Hey, good morning. Morning. So today we're going to be starting a new series on the carols of Christmas, and we're going to be starting with one of my favorite ones, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And uh, believe it or not, there are actually seven verses to the hymn. Uh, not, we don't obviously, that'd be a really long song if we sang all seven verses. Uh, but there are seven verses, and we're going to be walking through each of them because it's neat to see uh, just the, the, the depth and, and what's behind them all. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are here with us. Thank you that we can lift your name up on high. And as we sing this song that is so beloved to, to many of us, uh, God, we just pray that you would be able to celebrate that you have come, but that you would help us also be in anticipation for your second coming. So lead us, guide us, fill us. And yeah, have your way in us through this message, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, as we find it today, uh, was uh, first published in the mid-19th century in England by an Anglican priest and hymn writer named John Mason Neal. Now, Neal was an interesting guy because uh, in his spare time, he translated medieval Greek and Latin hymns, right, in his spare time, right? Who does that? Uh, like it, and it wasn't just any old hymns that he'd translate. He focused on the ones, uh, the ancient ones that were written around the feasts and the fasts of the Christian year. In other words, I don't think he had a girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, like seriously, like that is not a hobby. Uh, so, and uh, I, I mentioned that he was doing that in his spare time because what he did like full time was that he founded a nursing order of Anglican nuns, that's one thing. He also helped social welfare organizations care for orphans and young women, and he was a warden of Sackville College, right? So this, was, this is a guy who wrote this hymn and many other beloved hymns that we sing today. So while this hymn, though, was originally published around the mid-19th century, its origins are actually found in the 8th and 9th century uh, from a Benedictine Gregorian chant. And this is what they would do. A week before Christmas, the seven days leading up to Christmas, they would actually sing a verse a day, right? Because there were seven verses. So they would actually sing a verse a day. Uh, and, and in a way, when we sing, when they sang each of these verses, it was a way to prepare their hearts for what was to come and, and to really see, hey, Jesus was the coming Messiah that we had all been waiting and praying for. So if you look at the seven verses, and let's get them up on the screen here, uh, they actually all start with this O, right? I mean, we read, O come, O come, Emmanuel, right, Emmanuel, but all of them actually start with this O. And, and what's interesting is every single one of these titles are actually, it's a messianic title of Jesus, right? And every single one of these verses, so you can see how it was going to prepare their hearts for what was to come. So let's actually walk through each one of these verses uh, one of the verses of the songs, and, and look at the scriptures that back them up to unpack the meaning of this hymn. All right, so let's start with verse one. O Sapentia, which is wisdom. O, and, and let's get the first verse on the screen. O come thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show, and cause us in our ways to go. Right, so you see that. O come thou wisdom. Right? If you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, you'll know that the word wisdom comes up a lot. 
right? It comes up a lot. And, and sometimes it's Proverbs 2, 6, where it says, for the Lord gives us wisdom. Uh, and maybe it's Proverbs 3, 19, where it says, the Lord founded the earth by wisdom. But have you ever noticed in the Proverbs that wisdom is actually sometimes a person? You notice that in Proverbs 1.20, says wisdom calls out in the street. Or in Proverbs 8.12, it says, I, wisdom, share a home with shrewdness and have knowledge and discretion. So this is how the hymn kicks off. It's not referring to just, oh, hey, I wish you would have wisdom from God, from on high. But actually, it's talking about, hey, um, oh, you know, Jesus, the coming Messiah, was wisdom, right? He is wisdom. If you look at 1 Corinthians 2, 4, it says Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, right? Jesus is not only the one who created and ordered the universe along with God the Father and God the Spirit, but it is through the wisdom of Jesus that we know the path forward, right? It's through the wisdom of Jesus that we know how to make decisions, because without the wisdom of Jesus, and, and we've been talking about this, right? This summer, we walked through the book of James. We recently looked at the book of First John, right? We talked about fake news, real news a couple weeks ago. And I mean, we, it, it, especially in this day and age, or especially in this day and age, where people are coming up left, right, and center. It's like, I know what the path is. I know what to do, or follow me, or do this. And I'm an expert. I'm an expert. In the midst of all of that, I mean... Look at 1 Corinthians 1.20. It says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? So especially in this day and age, we need to celebrate and remember uh, you know, that, that, that first verse. Wisdom, right? We need the Lord's wisdom, not just any wisdom. We need the Lord's wisdom, for Jesus is the wisdom of God. Let's look at verse 2, O Adonai. That word Adonai is the Hebrew word for God. And, and this verse here, it says, O come Adonai, right? O come God, Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give us the law in cloud and majesty and in awe. So Adonai in Hebrew is that word for Lord or Master, right? So on the surface layer, as we see this verse here, um, this verse is reminding us of the fact that the Lord and Master of the Israelites, right, the Lord and Master of the Israelites who, who, who gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments on Sinai, on the Mount of Sinai, right, we see that, who, who led the Israelites in a cloud by day and a fire by night, that this, this Jesus, this Lord, this Master Right? It's, it's not only that this master, that, 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 that is who we're celebrating there, but this Jesus who in the New Testament is also referred to as Lord and Master. Right? We see both. Right? So we see Lord and Master, the Israelites back then. We see Lord and Master of how Jesus, when he lived on earth, we see a lot of people referring to Jesus as Lord. What this verse is actually showing us is that this coming Messiah, this, this Jesus, Everyone who calls Jesus Lord, right, everyone who calls Jesus Lord will actually receive a new commandment. You see Sinai, the, old, the, the Ten Commandments, will actually receive a new commandment. And just as the Israelites were in awe of the Lord back then, I mean, just think about that, right? I'm like, hey, how do you know what to do? Well, the cloud's moving, so let's pack up and move. 
right? I mean, this awe, the, the, the way that the Israelites were just in awe of God, what we actually see in this verse here is that when you call Jesus Lord, right, Adonai, when you call Jesus Lord, you will not only receive a new commandment, be guided with this new commandment that we see in the scriptures, but you will also be in awe of God's wondrous works that he still wants to do today. Or you see the parallel there? I mean, just think about Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Lord, right? That's what this second verse is talking about. It's really helping us understand this, the lordship of Jesus in our life. Verse 3, uh, it's O Radix Jesse, so stem or root of Jesse is the translation there. Right? And this verse says, O come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory over the grave. So in Isaiah 11.1, 1, uh, we read, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch uh, from his roots will bear fruit. Uh, my kids and I, my, my wife and I with our kids, we were doing this uh, Advent calendar, and, and the first day, this was actually the verse. This was the verse, and it might be a familiar verse to many because uh, greeting cards, Christmas cards sometimes have this verse on it, but have you ever actually kind of thought through what that verse really meant, right? Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. A shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. Well, what this first phrase is referring to is the fact that the Messiah is going to come from the line of Jesse, who is the father of King David. And if you look at Jesus's genealogy, you see that this is true. You see that Jesus's genealogy, that, that part, you know, in the Gospels that we sometimes skip over because it's just a lot of names, we see that Jesus actually comes from uh, the root of Jesse, who's King David's father. Right, so that's that first part of that verse. But we also see here that a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. Right, just think about that. A stump. Some of us might have stumps in our backyard. Right? The, the, the trees that once were majestic, we cut it down. You know, it's like shedding too many leaves or it's rotten or whatnot. And we have this stump. Right? And from a stump, we see that a shoot is going to grow. But not only a shoot is going to grow, but its branches will actually bear fruit. I mean, just think about that. A dead stump, from a dead stump, a new shoot that's going to, is going to grow and is going to bear fruit. I mean, that's amazing, right? And what this shows us, as we see in this verse that we're, that we are singing here, is that the coming Messiah that we are singing about is not without history. This coming Messiah that we worship is not about forsaking the past. Now, sometimes our past hurts, right? There, there are situations that we have gone through that we don't want to relive or, or the passing of loved ones that sometimes come up during holidays or, or other aspects of our history that we just want to wipe away and erase. And maybe you moved to Nashville because it was a fresh start and, and you know, no one knew your past. And, and sometimes this happens, right? If you, or if you grew up as a, as a military brat, I mean, you know the fact of moving all around, right? You just can, every time you move, you can start afresh, you can just erase your past. But what we're reading about here in this verse is while God is not going to hold our past against us when we confess it to Him and come before Him, right? When we come before Jesus as our Lord and Savior, while He's not going to hold our past against us, what we see is that in this verse that God actually wants to redeem our past. He wants to redeem our past. From that stump 
that used to be something glorious is now destroyed and is down on the ground and has been forgotten. From that past that we want to forget, God is going to create something new. God is going to make something new again. Do you have hope in that? Do you have hope in the fact that though this history that you want to forget, though it's back there, do you have hope that one day actually God is going to use that for his good? for your good, for his glory. So this shoot from the rod of Jesse is going to save humanity. We see that, right? We see that is going to save humanity from Satan's tyranny. Jesus is going to save humanity from the enemy's grip and from his grasp. And this Messiah is going to offer salvation to everyone and, to, and save people from entering the depths of hell through his wondrous grace. Right? That's the grace of Jesus that we celebrate. Verse 4, let's look at the next one. It's, O Clavis David, right? Key of David is a translation. And though this verse, right, O come thou key of David, you might, maybe there's some New Testament verses or, or passages that might be coming to your mind when you hear that, the word key. O come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Uh, what we actually see this verse, this key of David, actually comes from Isaiah 22.22. And Isaiah 22.22, this is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. So this verse here in Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, is a prophecy about the coming Messiah which was fulfilled in Jesus. It was fulfilled, right? So we see here in this hymn, we're remembering one hand, on the one hand, this prophecy, right? Isaiah 22, 22. It's this prophecy. Hey, this coming Messiah, this person that is going to come, right? He's going he, he's gonna to have the key of, of David. You know, we're going to call him the key of David. And then if you look at Revelation 3, 7, right? So Jesus is now Come, we're now looking at the end of the scriptures in, in the book of Revelation. Jesus has already come. He has died. He has been raised from the dead. And now we see in Revelation 3, 7 that, hey, this actually came true. Isaiah twenty two twenty two came true in this person, Jesus, right? Revelation 3, 7 says this. Thus says the Holy One, the True One, the One who has, what does it say there? The key of David, who opens and no one will close and who closes and no one opens. What we see in this verse, in this hymn, is that Jesus is the one who finally opens up the way to God. What we're singing about in this hymn is that Jesus, though other people in the past, other prophets, right, in the past through the Old Testament, and we see, you know, even, even past that, you know, with, with Muhammad, and we look at, you know, other, you know, Mormonism, and we look at other cults and other sects, and, and we, we look at all of these and all these people who say, hey, I have the key. I have the key of David. I have the key to go toward the Lord, right? Buddha and a lot of the gods that the Hindus worship, I mean, they say, I have the key to David. What we see in this scripture, what we see in you know, Isaiah twenty two twenty two, and the, and the, the revelation of that in Revelation, we see in Jesus that Jesus was the one who truly had the key. What we celebrate that Jesus is the one who finally opens up the way to God, that Jesus is the one who leads us to eternal life, to ultimate peace, to everlasting love, to endless joy. This is what we're celebrating. When we sing this verse, that is what we're celebrating. We're celebrating John fourteen six. 
right, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. When we come to Jesus, right, he will, as we look at this verse here, when we come to Jesus, he will close the path to misery. Because if you don't choose to follow Christ, if you don't make a decision to follow Christ, you're on the path to misery. And what we see in this hymn here is that coming to Jesus actually opens wide our heavenly home. Verse 5 uh, says, O Orion, dayspring, which means dayspring. Right? So it says, O come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. When I was studying for this uh, for this message, and I, and I read that verse, the first thing that popped into my mind was Dayspring, right? Dayspring, right? the card company, right? And I was like, does, you know, does Dayspring, is, like, is that where they got this name from? And I was just trying to think, so I went on their website, and, and I was like, oh, I didn't realize that Hallmark bought Dayspring. I mean, it's just, it has nothing to do with the sermon, right? And I'm not on the payroll of Dayspring or anything, like no affiliation to them. But it was just interesting to go to the website and just look at their history and look at why Dayspring started and, and why, uh, you know, kind of where the name came from. And it's actually the same thing as we see in this verse here. Oh, thou Dayspring. Because this word Dayspring we see in Luke 1, verse 78 and 79. That's where the word comes from. It's actually Zechariah, what Zechariah says when he is prophesying about the coming Messiah, about Jesus. It says this, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high, that's, that's the word day spring in other translations, will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Right? Have you ever noticed or have you ever had those evenings where you were just either so worried about what was going to be happening the next day or so excited about what was going to be happening the next day that, that what should have been six or seven hours of solid night's rest felt like an eternity? Right? Have you ever felt like that, that night and maybe you were in sorrow or in pain or something happened the night before and it's just the, the day would not come, right? It was just the night, you just, you know, you, you, you wake up and then you fall asleep and you wake up and you check your clock, it's only been 30 minutes and you're like, what? And you fall asleep and you wake up and you kind of feel refreshed, right? Have you ever had that? And it's like, it's 2 a.m. You're like, I, I no, my day's going to be ruined if I get up right now. So you, and you're just going on and, you know, you're sleeping and you're waking up. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, 6.30 hits. And, and then that, that, you know, the day spring, the dawn of light comes kind of streaming through that crack in your curtain, Right? And, and now you're hopeful. You're like, oh, okay, I can get up now. Oh, okay, the day is coming. That is what this, this hope, this longing, this aching for the morning, that is what we are talking about here. That's what this verse is about, that, that Jesus, what we see even in the night, right? Even if you have nightlights in your home, and we have some nightlights all throughout our house in case our kids have to get up uh, in the middle of the night, right? When those nightlights are off, it's like pitch black, or you turn it on, even though it's a, a very faint light, we see that darkness begins to flee. And what we see here in Malachi 4.2, I love this, this coming Messiah uh, has another, you know, not only is this coming Messiah Jesus, the day spring, but it says in Malachi 4.2 that Jesus is the son of righteousness who is healing in his wings. Right? The son of righteousness. The son of God, but also the son of righteousness. 
who has healing in his wings. So not only did Jesus, was Jesus the day spring, the healing hand of God among everyone who surrounded him and he interacted with here on earth, but also Jesus, as we see in this verse, that he actually wants to do this through the church. He wants to do this through us. That as much as we sing, oh, come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here, disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight, we see in the New Testament that Jesus actually calls us the light of the world, right? He calls the church a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So part of our mission and our mandate, our mission and our mandate is to be the sun of, is to be the dawn of light, is to be the sun of righteousness, right? That we're, we're, we're in this world, those who don't have Christ, they're living in darkness. God is calling us to be the light of this world. That's what we're saying about in this verse. Well, look at the, the next one, verse 6. O rex genitium is the word in Latin, and that means king of the Gentiles. Right? So we see in this verse here, O come, desire of nations, and, and I'll get into why it was changed, but that's king of the Gentiles in the original Latin. O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. To us the path of quarrel seas, fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Right? The meaning is the same, king of the Gentiles, desire of the nations. The reason why it was translated to desire of the nations is because it was just, it was a word you know, they just wanted to soften and broaden the wording. But think of what that means, right? King of the Gentiles or desire of the nations, right? This, and, and think about before Jesus came, right? Before Jesus came, and if you look at Isaiah and, and, all, and Malachi and all these other books of the Old Testament that the, that the Israelites had, right? Because they were worshiping God. And it was like, hey, our Messiah is going to come to save us from the Gentiles, going to save us from Gentile rule. It's going to save us and redeem us from the nations, right? That's what the Israelites were thinking the Messiah was going to be. They were holding the Messiah in their hands and in their palms, and it was like, it's just for us. What we actually see with Jesus is that he's like, actually, the Messiah is not for you. The Messiah is going to be coming from you, but for the nations, Right, what's interesting about this verse here is that when we hold our faith, you know, and keep it in the private, in our private world and keep it in our private sphere and, and when people ask us what we did on the weekends and we just talk about what we did on Saturday or Sunday afternoon and we, we don't talk about worshiping our Lord Jesus here on Sunday morning and throughout the day and, and when we hold our faith on our own and even when opportunities come up with our family, our friends or our neighbors and we don't bring up Jesus, we don't bring up what, you're not even evangelizing, you're just talking about what Jesus is doing in your life. When we don't open that up, what we're actually doing is we're doing what the Israelites did with the Messiah. We're saying the Messiah is actually for me. The Messiah is not for you. Because if the Messiah was really for you, then I would actually be excited to tell you about this Messiah that was for you. You see how we're doing and we're committing the sin that the Israelites committed every time we have an opportunity, but we don't share about Christ and we don't share what he's doing in our life. When we see this verse here, Jesus is actually for the nations, for the nations, for all people. 
And when we look at Revelation 7-9, we actually see this, this vision, right? After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. What we see is when Jesus returns here, right, Jesus returns, not only will there be no more division and quarrels, right, we see this in the verse of the song, the path of quarrels will cease, right, not only will we see quarrels ceasing when Jesus returns, but the whole world who confesses Christ as their Lord, as their Savior, will be full of heaven's peace, right, will be full of heaven's peace as we see here because of the finished work of Christ. All right, this next verse, this last verse, which is actually the first, it's the original last verse, right, O Come Emmanuel, but it's the first verse that we sing. And if you think of the song, O Come Emmanuel, this is often the verse that we remember, right? I mean, a lot of times we may sing the first or remember that first line of some of the other verses, uh, but it's this first verse that most of the time we get, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Right? But this actually was the last verse. And this word, Emmanuel, right? Emmanuel means, do you guys know Emmanuel means God with us, right? And we see in Isaiah 7, 14, there's this prophecy about God with us, right? It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, right? Emmanuel. Now, Jesus isn't, I mean, Jesus is Emmanuel, but his name wasn't Emmanuel. His name was Jesus, right? But when you look at his life, yes, the prophecy, he was born, as we see in this prophecy, uh, from a virgin, but we also see that Jesus' life, the entire life that he lived was showing us, hey, I am with you. Those who were forsaken by the Pharisees, Jesus came to him and said, I am with you. Those outcasted lepers, and everyone turned away, Jesus said, I am with you. Right? The tax collectors, even the rich, every socioeconomic level in society, Jesus said, I am with you. And when he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, hey, though Jesus is not here on earth anymore, the Holy Spirit is with you. I mean, just think about this. Jesus, the Son of God who is at the right hand of the Father, left everything so that he can come into this broken world and be with us, be with us, so that we could have hope and we could have everlasting life in him. Now, what's amazing about this verse here, and actually all seven verses, is that they actually have a double purpose. Every single one of these verses in this hymn, have, they, they, there are two meanings to all of them. On the one hand, we have the apparent meaning, right? And the apparent meaning is, right, that, that this little baby Jesus was going to come. Right? That, that, that's what, when we think Christmas, when we think carols, when we think, I mean, the, the crosses, we don't necessarily think of the empty cross on, on Christmas, right? We think of that with Easter. We think of the manger, right? We think of the silent night, right? We think of the, the, the you know, the, the people coming and, and worshiping Jesus in the manger. I mean, that's what we think about when we think about Christmas. And a lot of times when we sing, when we sang this hymn, and we're going to be singing this again right after here, 
what happens is that is what comes in our mind, right? We think, oh, you know, cute little baby Jesus and, you know, in a manger, let's sing O Come, Emmanuel. And, I mean, you know, we're singing O Come, Emmanuel, but he already came. So it's, I don't really understand why we're singing this. Are we just trying to be like the Israelites where, you know, we're trying to be in the first century? I mean, is that, you know what I'm talking about? Like a lot of times when we sing carols, we just think of that little baby Jesus, right? This Jesus was going to be coming and going to, you know, pay the ransom to set Israel and the nations free. But actually in this verse, in all the verses, in a lot of these carols, uh, there's actually a second meaning, especially in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. The second meaning is that, yes, Jesus has come as a baby, has left all to be with us, but also Jesus as we see in these verses, the double meaning is that Jesus is going to be coming back again. That is the second meaning to these verses. That through the singing of these lyrics, we can prepare our hearts and grow in excitement that Jesus may actually return here in our lifetime. So in a sense, when you look at every single one of these verses, they are placing our eyes not only on the fact that Jesus came, but that he is coming again. Right? It's this double where we are, yes, remembering his first coming, but we are also anticipating, yearning, hoping, and perhaps even aching for his second coming. I love this quote by John Piper. The Christian life oscillates between these two poles. The overflowing joy of the already redeemed, right? the first coming, the, the consequences of Jesus' first coming and when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, the fact that we are now redeemed children of God, right? The Christian life oscillates between that, the already, but also the tearful yearning of the not yet. Not that we ever leave the one or the other in this life, but we actually have both. We're sorrowful, yet we're rejoicing. I love the theological depth of, the, of this verse, of every verse, in this hymn and the dual nature of them, where when we sing this song, when we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it's actually, I'm remembering Christ, his first coming, and now I'm anticipating that I will no longer be in exile when I'm with him again, right? That second coming. Now, I love this, right? I love these verses, but I'm really bad at lyrics. Uh, my wife and my kids make fun of me a lot of times. Uh, because I'll just make up lyrics, uh, and it's just like, it's bad, and sometimes it's really bad, because sometimes my kids will just learn from me, uh, and I think they've gotten to the point now where they understand, don't listen to dad singing, uh, because he always gets it wrong, and, and, and honestly, I don't know, I, I don't know why my brain works this way, but when I hear a song, I, I, only, I only really hear the music, I don't really hear the lyrics, Is anyone like that? Like, it's just, I have to listen to the song like 20, 30 times before I actually pay attention to the lyrics. So I gotta gotta watch myself, right? Because sometimes you hear songs on the radio and it's really catchy, right? And I'm I'm like singing it to myself, I'm listening, and I'm like, wait a second, what am I singing, right? And it's like, oh, that's a really bad song, right? But by then it's already like in my head, It's it's in these loops. So uh, I remember this one Christmas we were doing uh, Cranium. You know that, you know that game Cranium uh, where, where actually Christina and I were on the same team and, and she was humming a song uh, and I had the tune of the song and I had to, because we were on the same, I had to come up, I, need, I needed to like say what the title of the song was. Right? And let's try it here. This is what she was doing. She was humming, 
What is it? Yeah, I love rock and roll. So she's humming that, and all the while she's humming that, I'm like, oh yeah, I get that right because the timer's going on, and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I know, I know, I know rock and roll. I don't see, I don't know the other, is there are other words. I was like, I know rock and roll. And she's like, hmm. She's like, hmm, hmm, And she kept on emphasizing, hmm. And I was like, yeah. I know rock and roll. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, you're an idiot. Like, what are you doing? I got this. And in her mind, she's like, no, you're the idiot, right? Because it's I love rock and roll. Now, I know rock and roll. Now, I share that because honestly, you're probably like, why in the world are we going through seven verses, right? This is not typically how I preach or the way that I preach or or teach. It's like seven verses. and, and, And I'm sure by verse four or five, you're like, I don't understand even the English that's put on the, on, on the board. Like, I hated Shakespeare. I mean, if you're an English major, I'm sorry you had to, like, study Chaucer. It's English, but it's not really English, right? It's just like, it's, you know, and we look at Old English, and you're like, how does that even mean? And I'm sure some of you might have zoned out. And <laughs> I zoned out too, right? <laughs> so, I mean, like, I get that. But I share that because when we get the next one, where we get the, the chorus up, right? Rejoice, rejoice. I mean, whether you remember the verses or not, I mean, we remember this, right? And we remember the chorus of the song. And I want to urge you, I want to encourage you, I want to beg of you this, Chris, this Christmas season, even as we sing this song right now, that when we sing this, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. What we actually need to remember is that we are celebrating, hey, Jesus, we are rejoicing for the fact that Jesus came and that he is coming again. We're not thinking of just the one. We're thinking of the both. And that is what we need to celebrate when we sing this carol. Jesus' first coming is a reason to rejoice. It is. But so is his second coming. Right? I love this verse in Philippians 4, 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord. Right? Rejoice in the Lord always. I, I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. So as we sing this carol again, right, in a couple minutes here, let us rejoice. Let us rejoice and be a gracious people. Let us be a rejoicing people because the Lord is here. The Lord is near. Right? Emmanuel, God, is with us. Not only did Jesus come but he's coming again. Now, before we end the hymn, uh, before we end um, this sermon, I just want to tell you one more thing about this hymn. If we can get the first, uh, the, the, you know, the seven-verse slide up on the, you know, the O, you know, all those on the, on the screen, that'd be great. If you look here and you look at the Latin, uh, it's, it spells after the, you know, after O, the first word says sarcor, right? It's not parkour, if you know what that is. Uh, it's, it's, like, it's, it's sarcor, right? Sarcor, and I mean, that doesn't mean anything. But if you actually flip it and you look backwards, it, it spells aerocras, aerocras. And that word aerocras, it's actually two words put together. That actually means I will be present tomorrow. Right? It says, I shall be with you tomorrow. So what this verse, when we are singing this, right, obviously it's, yes, we're remembering Jesus' first coming, but in every single one of these verses, in the chorus, the hidden meaning here is actually, hey, I will be with you tomorrow. The pain that you're experiencing today, the hopelessness that you're experiencing today, the, the tension of 
this world that we are living in today, hey, have hope. Be, re rejoice because I will be with you tomorrow. Isn't that amazing?